Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also the one who had two talents, he made two more. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the, two, or bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what, you, or here is, what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And, the cast, and then cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Yeah. Nice to have a teaching text to end with weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're new with us, welcome. Some of you might be cast in the outer darkness. Just, just kidding. I don't know. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, help us. Um, this story, sparse in detail, but uh, is rich and has things I think our, our church is meant to hear. I pray you just help us by your Holy Spirit, that you would transform this middle school auditorium into a sanctuary of your presence, Lord, as many of us have already begun experiencing and taking joy in the fact that you are here. God, I know many prayers have been spilt over these next moments, Lord, already, and I just pray that you would do the work that you mean to do, intend to do, and love to do in your church. Equip us with all we need from this word this morning to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in, uh, in the middle of a foundation series, uh, four, four messages, and in, in each of these uh, meditations, considerations as a church in this foundation series, what we're trying to do is deeply encounter God, deeply encounter God by meditating on some core teaching in the scriptures about what the kingdom of God is like. But we're not just just trying to generally study these archetypal famous stories of what the kingdom of God is like. We actually believe, our church leadership believes, we've, we've soaked in prayer the reality that actually this foundation series, we're, we're moving through these particular stories, Ezra 
and the foundations uh, that, that Jesus said if we build our foundations on his words, that it's like building our lives on the rock versus building our lives on the unstable foundation of, sa- of sand. And then the Great Commission putting in our primary mission as a church is to, to be those who are relationally transformed by God and inviting others to be relationally transformed by God, participating in his kingdom coming in the world. And then this week, this, this parable of the talents. We, we believe that these foundational messages for our church this fall are not just having good principles about God, but our specific, even prophetic words for our church right now. So, I I really believe, since confirmation for many conversations and and times of prayer, um, that that we are poised to enter a new era in in the life of Trinity Grace Park Slope. That we we had a, a foundation built on Christ and we had some processes and systems and ways of doing things that were uh, helpful for, for season. Maybe even you could see them as scaffolding. But I think we are moving into a time where God is going to begin removing the scaffolding and we're going to see the, the, the people, the building, the, 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 the spiritual stones built together that we're meant to be as a church. So if you're brand new here, that might feel like intense, like new era, I just showed up. That's fine. And I don't want to ruin the end of this parable, but I feel a deep, conviction, a deep conviction about the particular prophetic word that God has for our church from this parable. And, and it's along these lines. There are things that are laying dormant in our church. There are things that have been given to some of you, to this community, to this church, that are immensely valuable. And right now, they're buried. Not all of them, not in every way, but in some particular ways that when they're dug up and reinvested, when they're, when they're pouring out, when they're, when they're being used as they were, are intended, it's going to bring such life to our church. Such life, not just to encourage us as believers in a holy huddle, but to, to see us poured out into our neighborhood to see the kingdom of God come in Brooklyn as it is in heaven. So I want that conviction to be in your heart, and then I want to consider this parable for just a few moments, and then I want us to go across to the gym. So this parable starts with a sentence. It will be, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That's the sentence that this parable begins with. It will be like a man. Now, what is the it? Just in the way of reminder, if, if you're not that familiar with Jesus' teaching style in parables and the Hebrew prophetic tradition that it comes from, what is Jesus talking about when he says, it will be like? This entire story is a metaphor for something. It's a, it's a picture that's a representation that's help, meant to help us access something. What is the something? It is the kingdom of God. If you go to the top of Matthew 25, uh, you scroll in your smartphone, you pull down, you get to the top of Matthew 25, you will see that Jesus at the beginning says, for the kingdom of heaven was like, for the kingdom of God was like, and then he begins to tell, to tell these stories. And so, the parables of Jesus, almost all of them, are, 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 are that. They're metaphor, story after story, telling us what the kingdom of God is like. And here's an important thing. Not every parable has everything in it. Important message for preachers, but hard to, hard to, hard to follow. So we need all of them, right? We don't just need the parable of the talents, but it does have some crucial things in it that we need to understand if we're going to understand what the kingdom of God is like. So with that as a backdrop to help our understanding, 
we have this very simple story like so many of the parables are. As I, as I said even in prayer, the details are sparse, but there are rich things present here. So what do we have? What, what's the simple framework? A man goes away on a journey, and before he leaves, he entrusts immensely valuable property into the care of three other people, servants or stewards. Now, talents. I was preparing, normally we read from the NIV, I was preparing this week, and the NIV has translated talents into bags of gold. <laughs> and so that's teams of scholars getting together and being like, King James says talents, and you know, ESV says talents, so let's say bags of gold, I don't know, just like the imagery, like, you view these bags of gold, and you these bags of gold, and I just... Well, I made a choice. We're going to read from the ESV and we're going to say talents. Um, but what is a talent? Well, it was something that was worth about 20 years wages for a laborer of that day. So uh, quick math. I, I looked this up on the Googles last night. Median household income of Park Slope, five million. I'm just kidding. Uh, Median household income of Park Slope families annually is somewhere between 110 and 130K. Don't react verbally. <laughs> so annually you go low on that estimate, multiply by 20 years wages, we're talking about $2.2 million. What does that mean? That means with one talent you can buy a three bedroom in this apartment, but you're still going to be house poor. <laughs> you got to furnish it at Ikea, going to Ikea is going to hurt your marriage, you need to consider. You need to consider if it's really worth it. So modern inflation and whatever, a talent's worth $2.2 million. One guy gets five of them. And he's buying apartments cash. He's why your offer doesn't stick. I'm processing some of my own pain here. I'm sorry. There's often in the parables hyperbolic language that's meant to arrest your attention, to, to grab your hearts. Uh, but the ridiculous inflation of our world makes those absurd numbers seem normal. So, sorry about that. Um, but here's, here's the reality. One of the points of this story is this. They were entrusted with something that was immensely valuable, and everything that follows is a response to that. In the relationship of the one who gives what's immensely valuable to them, and then what they do with that immensely valuable thing that they've been given. So I'm going to read you the story again. Like you just, that wasn't that long ago we heard it. I want you just, I want it to soak in our hearts. So we're, gonna, we're just going to move through it so we have the details fresh, as fresh as can be. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You're like, yes, I am trying to read it this way to emphasize certain things. We're going to come back to them. 
It's like reading stories to my kids. I'm like, don't miss the point. <laughs> and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We'd gotten past that part and we had a few laughs and you went back to the gnashing of teeth. We're given a framework, but there's a lot in this story in that long time that passes that we don't see. We, we know we don't see it because it says the master went away and the time passed. So, remember the, the framework is the kingdom of heaven is like something. The kingdom of heaven is like those who are given something immensely valuable and then much time passes and many large and small choices are made about what to do with that immensely valuable thing that we've been entrusted with. And then another amount of time passes and there's a settling of accounts. But you don't see the momentary uh, decisions, the small and large choices in that large amount of time passing where the guy with the 11 million, the five talents, goes and first begins to make his first transactions. What does he choose to first invest in? We don't see any of those details, the small and large choices that a long time passed and and more than likely he didn't gain all those five talents in one, one moment. There was risk involved. They were given this, or at least a perception of risk. They were given this profound gift. And they don't know exactly how their investments are going to work out, where they might miss, where they might fail. A long time passes, there was risk involved. And then the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Sparse details, but two things this parable has said to us so far, that the kingdom of God is like, it's like, Us, people, being entrusted with something immensely valuable, a period of time passing where where we have to choose in large and small ways whether we're willing to risk what we've been given and engage with it and use it in the way we were instructed and intended, and then there's going to be a settling of accounts. So, just to keep this super simple, you are accountable for what you do with what you've been given. Individual person, Trinity Grace Park Slope, you are accountable for what you do with what you've been given. So, the question that follows quickly on the heels, pressing through this parable into our imaginations, into our hearts, is this. Where is what is most valuable in your life invested? parable, a metaphor for the kingdom of God. God has come. 
He's spoken. He's taught. He's invited. He's, he's drawn our imaginations with these pictures of what the kingdom is like. But then he hasn't just taught us in words. He's given us physical demonstration. The kingdom of God is like this person who was broken receiving healing. This person who had no sight finally getting vision. These people who didn't have enough to eat collecting 12 baskets full. This person being thrown about in the, in the, in the midst of a storm. And that storm having peace brought to it. This person who, who felt entrapped, enslaved by something that kept them ostracized from the rest of their community. Being healed and brought in and said, you're whole, you're clean, you're mine. But he didn't just teach and demonstrate that. Then he, his, his life, his work words as instructions in the kingdom of God, but then the whole gospel narrative slows down at his death, so it says, don't miss this, the kingdom of God is about Jesus bringing, announcing this kingdom, and then dying and raising from the dead in order to give it to us, in order to say, you're brought in as sons and daughters. The immense gift is this profound grace that God has come to us and invited us to see, to break apart, to taste, to drink in what the kingdom of God is like in intimate communion relationship with him. That we've been entrusted with something so profound, the grace of God. And that grace awakens and enlivens, nourishes, strengthens so many of the other gifts that are present in our life. So, In some senses, every person has gifts from God. We have life, we have sight, we have breath. We have that moment in the fall where it's not so hot anymore. We receive these gifts, but we as the church are meant to see these gifts of our lives, the most valuable things in the context of the kingdom of God. So I just want to lead us down that, answering that question together for just a few moments. Where are the most valuable things in your life invested? Where are your gifts invested? The things you didn't make for yourself, but you've received from God. Your time. Where's the gift of your time invested? Your, your abilities. Life is taking you in a direction because of the abilities God has, has given you. Where are those abilities in, invested? And there's some level where we're, we're providing for ourselves, providing for our families. Is my, is, are my abilities primarily directed out of distorted self-interest? Or do I see them in the context of the kingdom of God? What about my money? Like, I made my money. That's not a gift. Yeah, right. But the time and the abilities, they, they were gifts. And that's how you got the money. You see? Bags of gold. <laughs> if you're a believer, let me tell you one promise of God for you. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life, you've been drawn into the kingdom of God, and he promises that because of his life and death, he's made you clean, he has deposited his Holy Spirit in you. The life of God is present in you, you don't have to question that. It absolutely is. Where is the deposited Holy Spirit pouring out of your life? Your gifts, where are they invested? Your story may seem like a strange thing to consider investing, but what is your story given to? This, this life, this vapor, this temporary moment that you have that is unique to you that no one else can live, what are you doing with it? What are the ways God has given you vision, given you breakthrough, given you opportunity? What are the, the, the wounds that are a part of your story that you uniquely steward? Wounds that have been inflicted on you and yet God has given you grace to see a way through them towards wholeness, towards healing. And maybe it's not complete, but you have perspective. What about your emotions? 
We have this incredible ability to perceive our world through feelings. To experience richness and deep connection to God and others. To get to the place where we sometimes we run out of words of how to, how to describe what's most important in our lives. We need the poets. We need, we, need the, we need songs. We need help. We need stillness to process our world through, through feelings. So where am I, where's my emotional life invested? Am I present to those who are, am I present to God and present to those who are around me? Or am I vicariously depositing my emotions into Netflix and living a life vicariously, spending my best emotions on, on, a, on stories that, are, that I'm distant from? Where's my mind and imagination invested? The scripture, the New Testament's all the time saying, is your mind being renewed? What are you giving your thoughts to? What dominates your imagination? What pictures are you daydreaming about? What am I allowing to shape my, my thinking? What about my vocation? This profound gift. Dorothy Day said, what use does religion have for anyone if it doesn't apply to nine-tenths of their life? If you're participating in following Jesus by just coming to church on Sunday at Trinity Grace, what good is it for you, really? What about the vocation God has given you? The work he's given your mind and hands and feet to do. The thing that, the, 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 some of the primary ways he's, he's made you to help other people in the world see what he is like. Now, every person on some level has been given these types of gifts, but to keep this story where it has to remain on the razor's edge, we have to see these gifts deposited in our lives through the lens of our connection to God. We've been drawn into this relationship with Him. Our vocation, our mind, our imagination, our emotions, money, time, abilities, relationships, spiritual gifts, even our wounds. We're, we're invited to see them in the context of connection with who God is and His kingdom coming in the world. So, I have these things, but they are truly His. There's the thread of that throughout the whole scripture. This right at the very beginning, the, our first ancestors, they were called showmers. They were called stewards. Take the natural resources, the incredible gifts that God has given you, and make g- good things from these natural resources. They, they are yours, but they're not ultimately yours. And we have to see that through all those lists that we just went through. Where's what is most valuable in your life invested? So, skip to the chase. Most troubling part of this story is the third servant. What happens to him and what the master says to him. So let's just see it for just a moment. The third steward, the third servant, takes this immensely valuable thing he's been given and he buries it. And he buries it with some really good rationale. He buries it in an attempt to keep it safe. He essentially operates out of fear. And that fear grows into a scarcity mentality. And that scarcity mentality is what he makes his life's calculations from. And so on every level of this story for the third servant, his calculations come from a scarcity mentality grown out of fear. And so he says, yes, I have this gift but I know I'm not going to always have it, and I'm going to bury it in order to protect it. I see this gift, I see it's valuable, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'm unsure, and so I'm going to bury it. Yes, the master thought I was ready to handle this. How do we know? Because it says they were given each according to their ability. They were given in accordance with the sphere God had for them to walk in. 
And, and I know the master thought that I could handle this, but maybe he doesn't know this about me or my insecurities begin to crop up. The scarcity mentality I have about my own self comes into play, and so I bury what I've been given out of fear. And then his assessment of the master, and this is where the most words are spilt in the story, is he's fearful of the master. His vision of the master is that he's hard and harsh and unjust and, and, and is not someone you want to cross ways with. And many of you have grown up with a religious framework, and that's how you see God. He's basically harsh. He's got a clipboard or a, or a movie screen showing all my worst moments. He's like, oh, because of Jesus, I guess I have to with you say, you're, you know, you're forgiven, but I don't like you. Like, God, I know you love me, but you don't like me. And some of us have that mentality. We've, we've accepted a, stort, a distorted picture of the character of God. And our life calculations aren't that he's someone who's saying, enter into my joy. But someone who's like, you have messed up in so many ways. He has a fearful, harsh analysis of the master. And to me, the hardest part was, why doesn't the master correct his assessment when he gets back? He just says, you thought this about me. If, and then he goes on to say, even if you thought this about me, even if you, had a, you weren't even true to the false vision you had of me. You thought I was fearful and harsh. You should have at least put my money in the bank. It's all dirty now. My bag of gold has dirt all over. You left it buried. Some of us have just a, a, we have a false vision of who God is. And God's saying, even if you thought I was that way, why don't you just creep, t- creep towards obedience? And then perhaps in the process of creeping towards obedience, the actual character of who God really is would begin to be seen. Right? When we're ch- I think about this with my kids all the time. I think about this with me. I had a measure of faith as a kid. But I thought God was harsh. I mean, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and people like made their living gleefully talking about hell. Just like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me describe it for you now, glory. <laughs> so I laid in my bed, and I prayed the sinner's prayer to make sure my you know, ticket was stamped for heaven a thousand times. Now, I had a distorted false vision of God, but you know what? I also had faith that he was there and that he was listening And that he heard me a thousand and, you know, two times. But in even moving incrementally towards who God is, my picture of him has been transformed. I've come to actually know that he's not not that way. And we know the third servant's assessment of the master is false. We know it from the story. We've already hinted at it. But here's what he says to the faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the master's heart from the very beginning of the story. Each of them are being given an opportunity to participate in, in the coming of the, of, the, of the advancement of the master's things, kingdom, way. And then also to then fully enter into the joy of the master. The heart of the master in this entrusting parable is that they would enter into his joy. Certainly there were many moments along the way with 
five-talent guy and two-talent guy where they would have made an investment and they would have begun to see, oh, I took a risk at this thing. I didn't know how it was going to work out. And then begin to see, oh, the, there's life happening here. The, the, this investment is, is gaining a return and there's deep satisfaction in that long-time process that we don't see actually accounted for in the story but was there. There was satisfaction there for sure. But then ultimately, there's even more than that. You are faithful over this little. I have so much more to give you. You enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the fullness of this kingdom. This has just been a taste of what I have for you. It's connected back to the prayer we mention all the time. Mentioned last week in John 17, Jesus says, Let them share in the glory and joy that we've shared from before the foundations of the world. Draw them into the sweetness of the tri triune relationship of God. And may they know us as we really are. And may their life be filled with our life. The third servant buried what he was given. Even though it was immensely valuable. Out of fear and a scarcity mentality. And so in the end we have this. Take the talent from him. And give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he who has an abundance... And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As much as I want to fly past that last sentence. The third servant. The place he is and the place he's headed. Is a place of darkness. Is a place of sorrow. And a place of regret. Well, what do we mean by that? He's living in a place with no vision. I don't know what step to take. You know the fear that comes in darkness? You have little kids, you see it all the time. Like, I don't know where I'm stepping. I don't know, what I, I don't know how I'm going to be harmed by what I can't see. Darkness, no vision. Then there's sorrow. There's weeping over lost opportunity, over what was present and now isn't. And then there's gnashing of teeth, this picture of, of grinding regret. Now... That's a way you can live your life on earth. <laughs> and according to the teachings of the kingdom of God, it's also a place you can end. That you could be headed. As scary as that is, that, that essentially, and, and you know, Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, some people say, God, your will be done. And to other people, God says to them, okay, your will be done. You insisted on this false lens through which to see the world. You demanded to be your own God, and so be your own God. And, and that's leading to a place of darkness and sorrow and regret. So we're going to end with these phrases that we've already heard. You have been given something immensely valuable. God himself, his kingdom, and he has gifted you. On his integrity, he has profoundly gifted you. Because of his grace. So where are the things that are most valuable in your life invested? Are there things that you know are buried and dormant because of fear and a scarcity mentality? You are accountable for what you do with what you are given. Please, as individuals and us as a church, let's not accept a false vision of who God is built on a scarcity mentality that sees him as primarily harsh and unloving, but let us see him as the God who wants to draw us into the fullness of his joy. There will be many steps of grace-inspired obedience along the way, 
there will be a long time that passes. And eventually there will be an opportunity for us to say, here's what I did with what I was given. So, what I want us to do is we're going to alter the way we normally end. I want us to spend right now with you meditating on those questions and us singing our hearts out to God. I want it, but before we calculate our next steps of obedience, I want us to saturate our minds and hearts in the love of the Father and the love of the master, and the love of the one who delights to entrust us with such rich things, and then delights for us to enter into his joy. I want us to, as a church, to, to, as much as we ever have, to fill this room with the praises of God, to lift him up, to worship him so that squarely in our hearts is a sense of the God we serve. And then we're going to come to this communion table after we sing. And we're, we're going to remember that Jesus was broken and poured out to make all of this accessible to us by grace. And then as an extension of communion, where we say, Jesus, you were broken and poured out for us. Now we're going to go across to the gym, and we're going to consider in the context just of our church, of our life, of our vocation, what are the ways you want me to use what you've given me? And we're going to begin connecting and serving together in this, in this new season. So... As an extension of communion, after I finish, if you need, some, if you got like, you need to pray with someone before you go, totally, totally makes sense. There will be people up here that would love to pray with you. And then as we go across, we're, we're, we're going to see this is an extension of obedience to what God has entrusted us with. So, hey, you guys are up there. I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to, as best as you ever have in this space, forget what your voice sounds like. Forget how educated and sophisticated and awesome you are. And sing with all your hearts to God. And lift up our, our great King who has entrusted us with this rich mercy and love. And let's sing to Him and honor Him so that everything that follows is coming out of that meditation on who our God is. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out on Trinity Grace Park Slope. Protect us from false visions of you. Protect us from living out of fear. Protect us from living out of the response to the attacks of the enemy, God, for those who would destroy our faith, for our world, who would tell us just to satiate our own desires and live out of a story just for us. Call us into something more right now. May we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And would you pour out, Holy Spirit, make us aware of your nearness and draw us into your presence that we can respond in the ways you're leading us to. In Jesus' name, church, rise to your feet and let us sing out to our God.